Well, it's by that great grace of God that uh, in January of 2017, Stonehill, in collaboration with a church in Ewing, New Jersey, Central Church, we together uh, launched a church in Trenton, New Jersey called Transformation Church. And I am so happy that the, the pastor, uh, key leaders of this church, the pastor and his wife, Diane, uh, that they are here with us this morning. And in, in a couple minutes, I'm going to hand the pulpit over to Tone. And I want to talk to you a bit more about Diane and Tone in just a couple of minutes. But before I do that, I want you to turn your attention to the screens and to see uh, a video, a brief video that tells a bit of the story of Transformation Church. Well, Tone and Diane Bellamy are right down front here. They're kids I see promise right there, and oh, there's Joshua, and Serenity is hiding her face there. It's so good to have the whole family here. Welcome back to Stonehill. Uh, uh, the Bellamy's, along with other people who were involved in the starting of Transformation, were part of our church for six, seven years. I still remember the April morning in 2010 when they first showed up at what was then Westerly Road Church. And uh, what began at that point through uh, their step of faith and our responding to, the, to their, to their um, presence was uh, certainly for me and I, I believe for our whole church transformative. It just changed us. Uh, Diane is a radiant sister in Christ. She's an entrepreneur. She stepped out in great faith and against... Uh, in the presence of many, many inner voices that said that she would fail, she stepped out in boldness and started her own hair salon, a hair salon with a vision to glorify Christ down in Trenton. Praise be to the living God. It's the kind of quality person she is. She's a woman of God. She's a, a devoted mother. She's a community leader. Diane, we're so happy that we're, you're here. And Tone... Well, Tone's a pastor. I don't say this of many people, but he is my pastor. He's one of a small set of two or three people that I go to when I need to be pastored. Uh, he's, like Diane, a community leader. He's a visionary leader. He's a rapper. Um, he's a former elder here. He is uh, a, just a great and loyal friend. Tone, come on up. Preach God's word to us. Would you welcome Tone and Diane? Um, well, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm glad to be here. I, I truly am I'm genuinely humbled at the opportunity to share God's word with you all today. Um, did any of you enjoy the, the video? Did you enjoy the video? Praise be to God's name. I want to go on the record and give all credit, honor, and glory to Jesus the Christ for all that he's doing in and through the people of God at Transformation Church where I get the privilege of being able to serve. And I want to thank each and every last one of you for your generosity, your prayers, and your support as we continue to forward the missional agenda of Jesus in the city of Trenton, much in the same way that you all forward the missional agenda of Jesus here in Princeton and the Northeast and throughout the world, as the mission statement says. I still remember it, man. 
Um, uh, um, but um, I also want to do this before I get into my message. I, I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity uh, to acknowledge and honor. The Bible says, give honor where it is due. To the under shepherd of this house, Pastor Matt Restucia, as well as his wife, Dr. Uh, Karen Restucia, for the legacy of disciple making for the glory of Jesus that they have left on this church and many of our lives. I just want to say publicly that many of us, we are, we, we are fruit on your trees. You know, um, 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 and so we just want to thank you for fathering us and mothering us in many ways. And would you just join me in giving the Lord a hand praise for the gift of Dr. Matt and Dr. Karen Restucia. We know God gets glory, but we thank God for the gifts that he gave us. Amen. Uh, So with that being said, I am a black preacher and I'm on a time limit and a time limit for a black preacher is like kryptonite to Superman. Uh, Let's dive right on in. We'll be our text for today will be Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28. Verses 18 through 20. If you got it, say amen. If you don't have it, say hold on. All right. Let's read. Here it is, verse, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, I would like to just spend some time today preaching from this text from the topic of marked for mission. Marked for mission. Let me pray for us. Father, I simply ask that you would give us your heart for the nations. For those who don't know you, that we would love them the way that you love them, by coming alongside them and making disciples for your glory. Lord, I've prepared, but I don't trust trust in my preparation. I trust in your spirit's power. I do not account my life of anything valuable nor precious to myself. My singular aim is to finish the race and complete the task you've given me, the task of testifying to the good news of the gospel. Would you get your glory in this place today? In Jesus' name, let the church of the living God say... Amen. So I want to open our time by sharing a quote with you. And this quote is actually the final words from a man by the name of Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer was a passenger on U.S. Flight 93 on the tragic day of September 11, 2001. Here now his final recorded words. Are you guys ready? Let's roll. Close quote. These final words from Todd Beamer would prove to be courageous and heroic in nature in that they were the words that marked the moment that inspired Todd along with some of his fellow passengers to rush the cockpit in an attempt to retake the plane back from the hijackers. And as his final recorded words inspired that courageous mission today in our text, we see some of the final words from the lips of our ultimate hero, the God-man, Jesus Christ himself. These words would inspire and encourage his followers to continue his disciple-making legacy to the ends of the earth as his spirit-filled witnesses. These final words are historically referred to as the Great Commission. And essentially, the Great Commission is Jesus articulating some realities that he wants to mark his disciples as they carry out his mission in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He wants them to be marked by a certain belief. 
He wants them to be obedient to a very specific command. And he wants them to do this while walking in his promised assurance. So I just want to give you three ways that the text teaches us should mark every believer in Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, the Christ. Three things. And the first thing we see in the text, verse 18, is that we ought to be marked by a belief that Jesus has all authority. We're to be marked by a belief that Jesus has all authority. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me set the scene for you a little bit. In verses 16 through 17 of this particular passage, we find that the disciples are meeting with Jesus at some appointed place at a mountain in Galilee. And the text tells us that some of them worshiped him, indicating that he is indeed God, worthy of worship. But it also says that some of them doubted. And there we find that the mission of the church was given to weak, feeble, imperfect, and flawed people just like you and I. But before Jesus gives them the commission in verses 19 and 20, he makes a claim here in verse 18 to have all authority. And note the scope of his authority. He says, I have been given all authority. This is not just a reference to his strength or his might, family. This is a reference to the fact that he has sovereign jurisdiction over all things. But don't just see the scope of his authority in the text. Note the sphere of his authority over everything in heaven and on the earth. And heaven here refers to more than just the heavenly bodies. It's about him having sovereign authority over all the realm of spiritual beings. He has authority over Satan and his demonic forces and rulers and principalities in high places. Authority even over Michael, the, 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 the angel, and all of his legions of angels. Even Michael, the angel, must submit and bow to the authority of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. On earth here is more than just him having authority over land and seas. He has authority over every person from every people group in every place on this planet. He has authority over all the world's governments and, and countries and the entire galaxy. He has all authority. I believe Abraham Kuyper was right when he said there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, it is and we ought to be marked by unswerving belief that the risen Christ has all authority. But I want to be clear that this belief in Jesus having all, all authority should not just be some general theoretical belief. This must be a personal belief that, uh, uh, that, that grips and, and shapes the corporate body of believers. For if, if he has authority over all things, that includes him having authority over your life. Amen, somebody. Authority over your time, your talent, your treasure. Authority over your family, your friendships, and your finances. He must be Lord of it all. He is not a Lord who will be okay with being second in our lives. I want you to understand that this is good news when the risen Lord Jesus says that he has been given all authority. And here's why. Because the great commission of verses 19 and 20 has no power if the great claim here in verse 18 is not true. This claim is good news, but if you're anything like me, Sometimes you allow the bad news of the day to determine whether or not you believe in Jesus' claim to have all authority. Can I be honest for a second? I'm a pastor, but I'll be honest. There are times where, where, where I struggle with this. I do ministry in a very gritty context in the city of Trent. A lot of beautiful things about the city of Trent, but there's a lot of broken things about the city of Trent. And one thing in particular is that there is this stronghold of death in my community. 
where teenagers consistently are, are murdered. We're known, according to the newspaper, and for, for murder and mayhem. Just the other day, I came home and I, I, I got a call that told me that a young man who I taught how to play basketball, I was his basketball coach in middle school, had been murdered around the corner at the laundromat, around the corner from my house where I've taken my kids to, to actually wash clothes at before. And I'll be honest, sometime in those moments, I, 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 when I see teenagers being murdered in my community and death seeming, to, seeming like it's winning the battle in my community, I wonder if God is still in control, whether he still does have sovereign jurisdiction and power over all things. And it's in those times that the Holy Spirit brings to my remembrance that whenever I'm struggling to believe, and the sovereign authority of Jesus over all things because of the bad news of the day that I simply just need to read the preceding verses and the chapters, especially the ones in the gospel accounts. Because the gospel accounts makes it clear that Jesus would be horrifically crucified where he died on the cross as a substitute in our place for our sin. Jesus would be laid in a borrowed tomb Jesus would lay in that borrowed tomb all day Friday and all day Saturday. And it looked like it was bad. But early Sunday morning, he rose with all power in his hand, proving that he indeed does have all authority. So if you're ever like me and you let the bad news of the day determine whether or not you believe with unswerving faith that Jesus has all authority, I just want to encourage you, just look back to the empty tomb. The empty tomb is proof that he does have all authority. So we're to be marked by belief in the authority of Jesus. Secondly, we're to be marked by obedience to the great commission of Jesus. Somebody say obedience. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. I'll read for you here. Go therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I'm the strongest command in this particular verse is the, ver is the command to make disciples. The words go, baptizing, and teaching simply clarify what it looks like actually to obey this imperative command to make disciples. So, the question, so this begs the question of what is a disciple? I'm glad you asked because it's in my notes. <laughs> a disciple is a follower, a learner, or an apprentice. It was common during that day for a Jewish disciple to be devoted in the way that they followed a rabbi and it would follow him with the purposes of learning from them, but get this also to end up living like them. And so when we talk about what a disciple is or a Christian is, it's one who is a loyal and devoted follower of Jesus who learns from Jesus in such a way as it begins to impact the way that they live their life by the Spirit's power for Jesus. Now, I want to look at three ways the text teaches us. Jesus teaches us in the text of what it means to make a disciple. You know how when you bake a cake, you got to know what all of the ingredients are in order to make it well? Well, Jesus is going to lay out some ingredients as it relates to what it looks like, according to him, to make disciples in a biblical way. So let's walk this out really quick. Number one, to make disciples, we make disciples by going. We make disciples by going. This word go in the text should actually be read as, as you are going, make disciples. In other words, making disciples is not just about adding something to your life. It's about beginning to see the all of your life as an opportunity for you to come alongside somebody else in order to disciple them, in order to see Christ formed in them. 
This imperative command to make disciples as we are going is not a work, hear me, just for pastors or ministry leaders, seminarians, or people who can quote Hebrew and Greek. I want you to hear me. This command to make disciples is a command that is for regular people like you. And it's a call for you to love Jesus personally, live for Jesus faithfully, and then lean your life into somebody else relationally for the purpose of seeing the missional agenda of Jesus forwarded in their life as they grow in Christ. I love what H.B. Charles says about this particular text. He says, it's fitting that Jesus would start the text off in verse 18 with the word go, because you can't spell the word gospel without the word go. This word go is a reminder that we, as blood-bought Christians who have been saved by the blood of Christ alone in his glorious resurrection, we are not just saved, though, family, we are also sent. We are the ecclesia, the called-out ones of God. To take the gospel, to connect the hope of the gospel with the hurts of people to the glory of our great God. We're not simply a come and see people, we are a go and tell people. Some of you hear this word go, and automatically you think in your mind, is God going to call me to take the gospel to the slums of Peru? Maybe. Maybe. The text is clear that he wants disciples to be made in all nations. And so for some of you, You're here today and you know that God has been agitating your soul, provoking you in spirit to be somebody who makes disciples by going to the far place with the gospel. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to take a step today. Maybe you need to talk to Sister Laura Halt about joining her with one of her upcoming mission trips. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor or an elder. But if God is inciting a fire in you to, to follow his missional purposes for you to take the gospel across the globe to our neighbors, then you need to be obedient to him. But I suspect that for most of us, while people who are called to take the gospel to the far place to make disciples certainly do not have the short end of the stick because God wants to take the gospel to the nations. There are others of us who are not called to take the gospel to the far places and make disciples, but you're called to take the gospel. You're called to go by stand in the near places and make disciples for Jesus. So I want to be clear whether we're called to go far or to make, make disciples in the far place or in the near places. The church doesn't suffer from a lack of opportunities to make disciples. The church suffers from a lack of obedience to Jesus' commands and the text to make disciples. And so for some of you who are called to make disciples in the near places, I want you to understand that opportunities for you to make disciples are as near to you as your living room. Can I talk to some parents for a second? I know parenting is not easy. I know it has its ups and downs. It can be a roller coaster experience. But I want to be clear to you that your home is an untapped mission field where God wants you to disciple and develop your children that he has given you, the arrows that he's given you for the purpose of one day launching them out in the culture in hopes that they will continue to forward the disciple-making legacy of Jesus wherever he sends them. For some of you, the opportunity to make disciples is as near to you, high schoolers, hear me, as the high school you attend. For some of you, the opportunity to make disciples is as near to you to the college campus you live on. For some of you, the opportunity to make disciples is as near to you as your child's soccer coach. For some of you, the opportunity to make disciples is as near to you as the places and spaces where you frequent. Where God wants you to leverage those opportunities to lean into a life, declare the gospel to them, walk alongside them for the purpose of seeing God use your life and witness to literally depopulate hell for the glory 
of his name as he transforms people's lives. Called to make disciples by going. And as we make disciples, we must understand that discipleship is more than just giving people information. Yes, there's a doctrinal component to it, an informational component to it, but it's, 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 make, making disciples has to do with doctrinal. We'll talk about that in just a second, but it's also relational. It's also relational. Paul had a relationship with young Timothy. He had a relationship with young Titus. Jesus had a relationship with the twelve. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. I'm reading for the NIV version. He says, because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but get this, he also says, but our lives as well. So yes, we want to, in discipleship, download the gospel, but we want to do it in the context of relationship. Right? Discipleship is not just about a talking to, it's about a walking with. My son, Joshua, uh, just this summer, I was teaching him how to ride his bike. And as I was teaching him how to ride his bike, my approach initially was simply to inform him from a distance as it relates to what he needed to do to learn how to ride his bike. And so I kind of just bark orders from a distance and say, Josh, if you want to ride your bike right, you got to put your hands on the handlebars like this. And you got to put your feet on the pedals like this. And then when you want to hit the brakes, you got to stop on the brakes like this. And we went on and on and on for about an hour. And an hour passes by. And guess what? Joshua still ain't learned how to ride his bike yet. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I realized he's getting frustrated and he, he wants to try to kind of quit. And, and I realized what was going on at that time was that um, um, me just informing and throwing information at Joshua from a distance was not working for him. So I changed my approach. And so what I did was I said, I came up to Joshua and I put my left hand on the front of his uh, handlebar. And then I put my right hand on his back and I just began to walk with him as I informed him about how to ride his bike, but I walked with him throughout the process. And suddenly, here's what I discovered. <laughs> what didn't work for an hour when I was just throwing information at him for a distance, suddenly, within 20 minutes, Joshua was riding his bike as if he had been trained to ride it for three years before. <laughs> here's the point that I'm trying to make about discipleship. Discipleship does not work when you're just throwing information at people. Don't just walk, don't just tell people to read the Romans road. How about you walk through the book of John with them? Discipleship is not just about doctrine. That is an important component about it. We're going to talk about that in a second, but it's also about leaning your life into somebody. Can I just testify for really quickly about how this has played itself out in my life? Pastor Matt, in addition to what he did when I was here uh, preaching on Sunday mornings on a regular basis, uh, he would pull me to the side and we would walk through books of doctrine together. Yes. But when my marriage was in trouble, Matt was there for me. When I was struggling to wrestling with my identity and my calling, Matt was speaking scripture over my life saying, God is not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Discipleship, yes, informational, but also relational, and then it will be transformational. Amen? So we make disciples by going. Secondly, we make disciples by baptizing. Jesus then tells them to baptize disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This reminds us that part of what baptism symbolizes is how God moves one from being foes with the triune God to being a part of God's family through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Jesus tells them to, that as they go, they ought to make disciples, but through baptism, it's one thing to make disciples, but in baptism, it's an opportunity for us to mark disciples. Baptism is not just some man-made tradition that we write off at our own discretion, family. It's a matter of obedience to Christ. 
Now, we know that water baptism does not save anybody, but it does symbolize that one um, has died to their old life and risen in Christ to a new life. I love baptism because it gives uh, the new convert the opportunity to what I like to call go viral with their faith. By declaring that while their faith in Jesus is a personal one, it must not be a private one. See, when we take seriously the marking of disciples through baptisms, it helps the professed believer understand that a disciple is not just someone who articulates a faith in Jesus. They're someone who applies that faith to everything they do in their daily lives. I think this is important because it's opposed to the easy believism of our day. This easy believism that says that I can believe and trust Jesus to transform my eternity, but I can't believe and trust Jesus to have authority over the decisions I make in my daily life. That's not the type of disciples that Jesus wants us to make. He wants us to make disciples who understand the cost associated with discipleship. How do I know that? Because in Luke 9, 23, he says, if any man, I mean, he says, he says, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and then follow me. We want people to understand the cost associated with, uh, 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 with being a disciple of Jesus. And this is part of what the process of baptism helps communicate to people. It helps them understand that to be, if, if, if any person be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians 2.20, that they have been crucified with Christ. And the life that they now live, that, and, and Christ, they no longer live, but Christ lives in them. And the life that they now live, they live by faith in the Son of Man who loved them and gave himself up for them. So we make disciples by going. Secondly, we make disciples by baptizing. Thirdly, we make disciples by teaching. Teaching. Doctrine is important. Verse 20. Teaching them, the text says, to observe all that I have commanded you. So while becoming a disciple happens in a moment, when he hears the gospel and responds in repentance, right? But the growth of a disciple is a lifelong process. And this learning, simply put, requires proper biblical teaching. Because it's essential for somebody to grow into faith, right? Right. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, correction, rebuke, that the man and woman of God will be equipped for every good work. But I want to be clear here. Note that we are not just to teach them some of what Jesus commanded. It says all of what Jesus commanded. In other words, we don't just teach them selected sections of the scriptures, I love what Pastor H.B. Charles says here. He says, we do not have editorial authority over the script. Here's what this means. We want to build robust disciples who, 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 who live out the glory of Jesus in every area of their life. That means that we've got to teach the full counsel of scripture. That means we can't skip over the passage that's dealing with racism. We can't skip over the passage that's dealing with homosexuality. We can't skip over the passage that deals with giving and finance. We must teach all that Jesus commanded. If we are ever to hope to make disciples who love and obey Jesus in every area of life. But know that the goal is not just to teach them so that they would be informed, but that they would be obedient. That's important. Teach them to observe. Some translations say obey. James 1.22, I'll read it. But be, he- but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Um, this is important because some of us treat God's word, according to Dr. Tony Evans, like a person who audits a class at a college. He says, an audit is where a person goes to class to get information, but it's not required to do any other work. They don't have to take a test or do any of the homework. They are only attending for informational purposes. They want the data without the responsibility. That's an audit. That's what some folks do every Sunday. They simply audit Jesus. Close quote. Question for you. Are you somebody who simply audits Jesus? 
Are you somebody who says, Jesus, I believe in your word enough to hear it, but I won't submit to your word enough to obey it. Listen, Jesus did not live, die, and rise again to produce audit disciples who just want to be theologically informed. No, he died and rose to produce ambassadorial disciples who are so transformed by the gospel that it shows up in their lives and their habits as they grow to live a life of obedience to him in every area of life. We're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about progressive sanctification as you grow throughout time in your life to become more like Jesus. Is that not the goal? I want to be more like Jesus. So to be marked by a belief in the authority of Jesus, marked by obedience to the great commission of Jesus as we make disciples, and finally we'll go home on this one. I want to be marked by confident assurance in the presence of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says, my favorite part. He says, and behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll read it one more time. I'm sorry. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here it is. We, so we see that the command to make disciples is couched in between the reassuring truth that Jesus, the risen Lord, has all authority and the rock solid promise that as we go out and make disciples, he will be with us. Not just that he will be with us. You got to understand, this, this, this idea of God being with us is something that Matthew has been talking about all throughout his gospel amongst the bookend of his whole gospel. Chapter 1, verse 23, he's quoting from Isaiah seven fourteen, and he says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. In chapter 18, I believe it's around verse 20, he says that wherever we are gathered, God is there in the midst with us. And then here at the end of Matthew's gospel, he makes it clear. Jesus says... That as you go out and make disciples, I will be present with you. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, it will require sacrifice. Yes, there's going to be some tough days. But as you obey my command, you can do this with the confidence and assurance that I will be with you. You can be aware, and I want you to be aware of this. So don't let our fears or our insecurities to come up against us in this work of forwarding the missional agenda of Jesus. As we learn what it is to become more aware of his presence with us as we obey his command to make disciples. I'll close with this story. Um, my son, Joshua, um, when he was about two or three years old, I remember uh, we were in the bathroom at a restaurant. He had to use the bathroom. It took him to use the bathroom, washed his hands. And I'm drying my hands now at, you know, they don't have the towel dispensers the way they used to now. They got like the Flowmaster 2000s. I don't know what the name of them is. Them big air machines. <laughs> And so I'm drying my hands in this machine, and Joshua was about two or three years old. And I kind of signaled to Joshua to come on over and put his hand under the, and get his hands dry. He kind of looks at me with this look like, Daddy, I ain't going over there. Nah, I'm not, I'm not with that. And so you know how you are a parent. I'm kind of waving them on. Come on, we got to go. As other people need to dry their hands. And uh, suddenly I realized, I looked at my son's eyes, and he was petrified. He was literally afraid to come over and put his hands in this dryer. And so here's what I realized at that moment. I said, Joshua, come here. And he came over to me and he put, and I put my hands up under his hands. And then he put his hands on top of my hands. And suddenly what my son was afraid to do when he thought he was alone, he was willing to do when he became aware of my presence. Question to you, are you aware of God's presence with you as you make disciples? I want to talk to the ministry leader who feels overwhelmed at the burden of making disciples. Are you aware that his presence is with you? Not just his presence, but his perpetual presence through the power and work and person and work of the Holy Spirit who empowers you 
to be his witness in the same way that the Holy Spirit that fell on Pentecost empowered these people to make disciples of all nations. Are you aware that his presence is with you as you make disciples in your high school and on your college campuses and among your kids' soccer coach? God never gives us a commandment to obey without promising to be with us. There's always a gap between what God calls us to do and where we are, but that gap is not a cause for you to be discouraged. It's a cause for you to push in and press into his presence as you become more aware that he is with you as you go. And so we are to make disciples. So we are to be marked by, I should say, uh, unswerving belief in the authority of Jesus. We're to be marked by obedience to the commands of Jesus as we make disciples. And we are to be marked by the confident assurance that we have in the presence of Jesus to the person and work of the Holy Spirit as we go. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. For it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I pray that you would light the way for your people. For we still believe that the same God who said, let there be light in Genesis is the same God who is speaking into the darkness of this world, the darkness of people's hearts as we proclaim the gospel to say, let there be light. As you rescue people from the domain of darkness and welcome them into your marvelous light. So my prayer, dear God, is that you would give us an angst of soul and that you would give us your heart for the nations, that we would love them the way that you love them. And as we step out in obedient faith and you meet us in the process, Would it be said of us as it was with the early church that these are they who turned the world upside down? In Jesus' name, amen.